بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله صلى الله عليك وعلى أهل بيتك المظلومين صلى الله عليك يا مولاي وابن مولاي يا أبا عبد الله رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة يا مظلوم يا غريب كربلاء ما خاب من تمسك بكم أمنا والله من لجأ إليكم يا ليتنا سيدي كنا معكم فنفوز فوزا محمد وآل محمد صلوات بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله الحمد لله على نعمة الإسلام وكفى بها نعمة الحمد لله على منة الولاية وكفى بها منة وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا النبي المؤيد والرسول المسدد والمصطفى الأمجد والمحمود الأحمد حبيب إله العالمين أبي القاسم محمد صلوات الله وسلامه عليه وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين سفن النجاة الأعلام من ركب سفينتهم نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق ثم أما بعد respected elders, scholars, brothers and sisters السلام عليكم جميعا ورحمة الله وبركاته Just a, before I start or commence my talk for tonight just one humble request Wallah from the bottom of my heart I'm asking for this humble request when I'm being introduced, please don't stand up when I come to the podium. There is no need. I know it's out of respect. I know it's coming from your heart. And I really appreciate that. But please, just remain seated and be comfortable. Inshallah, we are all here to serve the one cause, and that is the cause of Allah and Ahlul Bayt. Salawatullah wa salamu alayhim ajma'in. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. If you recall yesterday, I said that once you do the shahada or you assume or you take on board the testimony of faith or the confession of faith, which is la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam, once you do that, 
that testimony by virtue of you negating that there is no false god except one god which is the true allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are then going to become into ceaseless confrontation with false gods inside you and with those who are on the outside remember this statement yesterday i think i almost concluded my talk with that particular statement not only it will bring you into ceaseless confrontation with these false gods it will also require a ceaseless kind of striving and endeavors to reshape self and society because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated in the quran in the most emphatic terms bismillah ar-rahman ar-rahim kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas you were the best nation brought out to mankind what are the specification of this best nation what are the delegation of being among the best nation allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and says ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna 'anil munkar you have a duty to enjoin what is right and to forbid what is evil ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna 'anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah and of course to 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 complement all of this work in order that it becomes accepted by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the almighty you have to believe in him because any action that is not based on belief of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is futile is is, is uh, has no value in the eyes of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that action has to conform to what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expects or wants from us this is on one side on the other uh, side as well is that the idea of enjoining what is right and forbidding what is evil is not based on the injunction of hurt and putting others down okay some people assume that once you practice amr bil ma'ruf and nahi 'anil munkar it means you have to be harsh your statement have to put others down you are now the mu'min and everyone else is what going to hellfire that's not the idea right that is not the standard of amr bil ma'ruf wa nahi 'anil munkar right it's like someone who just became a muslim 3 days ago he goes buys a tasbih for $5 a topi for $3 now he becomes an ayatollah all of a sudden he wants to give injunctions he wants to articulate laws he wants to put others down you know amir al mu'minin ali ibn abi talib salawatullah wa salamuhu alayhi either i am having hearing problems today or your salawat is so mellow that no one can hear them so with the loudest of your salawat or voices sallu ala muhammad wa ali muhammad ahsantum amir al mu'minin says man kasara mu'minan falyajbur allahu akbar allahu akbar so in the process of inviting others to this religion whether it is among your own people or from outside and in particular if the invitation is extended to someone from within your rank a muslim yani or a muslima amir al-mu'minin says if you in the course of inviting people to do good you break someone break him what emotionally 
break him emotionally break his heart say something that is you know harsh amir al-mu'minin says man kasara mu'minan whosoever causes a mu'min to break let him mend him or her you must mend that breakage you must go to that person and apologize and say to that person maybe in the course of giving my advice to you i was harsh or inappropriate or my voice was raised or i offended you or whatever the case may be because we do not have the right to impose an opinion on others unless it is done within the parameters and the etiquettes of the quran and ahlul bayt salawatullah that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he addresses the Prophet وسلم, when he speaks to his beloved Prophet what does he say to him he says Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim walaw kunta faddhan ghalidha al-qalbi lan faddu min hawlik O Muhammad Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad so Allah is addressing his his, uh, his call directly to his beloved prophet, to his Rasul. He's saying to him, O oh prophet, if you were in the course of inviting people to Islam, coarse-hearted, yani you're using a coarse kind of language, your heart is very stern on them, then you would find that the result and the outcome would be is that all of them will disperse from around you. No one wants to hear you. No one wants to be with you. No one wants to listen to your call. On the contrary, we, found that the Prophet, we find that the Prophet ﷺ was the kindest, the most compassionate, the most, uh, 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 the most that showed empathy towards the one that he talks or, she, or, or he addresses. So much so, that when he was in, uh, when he decided to go to At-Ta'if, which is a city outside Mecca, at a distance of about 80 kilometers, where your beloved prophet walked all that distance. Can you imagine? He walked, for the sake of Allah, 80 kilometers just to invite the people of Ta'if to Islam. Now, in At-Ta'if, there is no Abu Sufyan, no Abu Jahl, no Utbah, no Al-Walid, no Al-As, none of these leaders of Quraysh that hated the Prophet from every avenue and from every perspective. None of them were in a Ta'if. So he sought their help and support, perhaps that if they listen to the word of Allah, they will believe in what he is having to say. But one of the followers of Rasulullah, unfortunately, released the news to people of a ta'if that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam was coming to visit a ta'if so they prepared themselves in order to give him the worst reception a person can ever conceive to the extent that they lured their children to stone and belt the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he entered the city of Ta'if. This is Rasulullah being built, stoned, so much so that his forehead bled, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bled with his pure blood. 
when that happened, the prophet reverted, the prophet went back, and he took a rescue under a tree. The angel that Allah has appointed to hold the mountains and to look after the mountains came to Rasulullah in the riwayah. This, we have a riwayah that says that. He says, Ya Rasulullah, would you allow me to collapse a ta'if under the two mountain tips that surrounds it? Because the ta'if sits on a hill area surrounded by two tips of a mountain. Look what Rasulullah said. He says, you came of your own accord or did Allah send you? Did you come of your own accord or did Allah tell you to come and ask me this? Since you have already been delegated to look after the mountains, was it a special task that you were sent with or was it something that you felt yourself said, no, Ya Rasulullah, I felt for you. I couldn't bear that sight that people are belting you and st throwing stone at you and you are in that state where you are inviting them and they are throwing rocks at you. He said, then I have no need for you. Go back from what you have returned to, return back to where you came from. The angel left. Listen to the riwayah. The riwayah says the prophet sat under the tree and began to pray. And began to pray. Listen to what he said. He said, Allahumma ghfir li qawmi fa'innahum la ya'lamun. Ajeeb, wallah. The brother understands Arabic. He knows what I'm saying, right? He knows what I'm saying. He's nodding. He knows the words of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi You know what the prophet said? He said, oh Allah, forgive my people. He called the people of a ta'if his people. Ya Rasulullah, what people? They just belted you. They just threw stones at you. And you're calling them your people? This is how you enjoy right and forbid what is evil. This is how you show care and concern to those who are against you. To those who are, you know, uh, uh, standing in your way for progress, right? Because they don't know. And that's exactly what the Prophet said after that. Oh Allah, forgive my people for they don't know what I'm calling them for. Yeah, Allah, forgive them because they know not what is good for them. You know, he didn't get angry. He didn't swear at them. He didn't make dua against them. You know, every prophet of Allah, by the way, every prophet of Allah, from Adam to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, including Moses and Jesus, each and every prophet had a supplication against their people. Every one of them made a supplication against their own people when they gave up on them. When they did not respond, they gave up, they made an appeal to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he should destroy them except Rasulullah. Every time Allah would ask Rasulullah, what do you want me to do with your people? Rasulullah would say, forgive them. Forgive them. You know, I wish we can learn the art of forgiveness among ourselves as a Muslim ummah. You know, we would be in a completely different shape, in a completely different situation if we learn the art of forgiveness. You know, if we learn how to love one another, how to care for one another. Imam Hussein, your Imam, the ones we are actually commemorating his values and teachings and principles. On the day of Ashura, 
he is seeing the blood spilling from the neck of his six-month infant child. He sees the severed, the severed hand of Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas. He sees the trampling, the pieces shattering on the ground of his son Ali al-Akbar. He sees the blood-stained body of Al-Qasim ibn al-Hasan. Then he goes out of his tent and he looks at them and he says, it bereaves me that you should enter hellfire on account of killing me. It saddens me. It saddens me. It kills me from inside. Imam Hussein says to them, to the army of Umar ibn Sa'ad and the like of Umar ibn Sa'ad, it kills me from inside that should I know that you will be entering hellfire on account of killing me. Even towards them, he was showing mercy. This is the kind of you know, lessons we can learn from Imam Hussein in the course of inviting others. Doesn't matter. Someone doesn't know how to pray. It's not the end of the world. Right? You go next to him. You talk to him. You sit and discuss the, the idea of what is the best way to engage in a prayer. Right? Someone doesn't know how to make wudu. Or you, you know, because we have Unfortunately, in some of our communities, we have those, we call them monitors. They sit at every place of wudu, at every door of the women's section and the men's section, and they are just there to observe who is doing something wrong so they can launch an attack. Like a stealth missile, you know? You don't know where the attack is coming from. You know, that is not inviting, especially for our youth. You know, if you are going to scare our youth away from our centers because we have to criticize them for every little thing they do, then we will fail as a community. Look at Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. I'm going to give you one of the most, perhaps, example of acceptance and tolerance by the Prophet that you probably never heard in your life. In your life, you've never heard. But the Prophet was accommodating in that regard. One day, a man comes into the Prophet's mosque. Comes, Bedouin. Do you know what a Bedouin is? Bedouin. They don't know etiquette, finesse. They don't have those proper, what do you call it, you know, uh, 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 to behave in public in a manner that holds you in great esteem and respect. They don't know. They're Bedouin. They lived among you know, sheep and camel and the hard terrain of the desert. So whatever they see in front of them, they would do. This guy comes in the mosque of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nature calls. Worse than nature calls? Nature calls. He looks around, sees the Muslims are sitting in one corner. He goes to the end of the mosque in one corner and he does his business. Allahu Akbar. The Muslims in the mosque lost it. Lost it, lost it. Especially some people straight away. They took the sword out and they said to Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, give us permission to chop his head off. He said, Rasulullah said, wait, wait. If you're going to be chasing after him now, the guy is going to destroy the whole mosque. Let him do his business. 
Let him. In the mosque, Ya Rasulullah. In the mosque. Let him. Leave him. After the, he left, tied his pants up and came to Rasulullah. Now everyone is fuming. Steam is coming out of their ears. The companions of the Prophet. He goes towards Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. He goes towards the Prophet. Everyone standing around the Prophet, they just want to, you know, uh, to, 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 to lash at him. So Rasulullah looks at him, he said, Son, sit. So he sat down. He said, The house of Allah is not made for this kind of activities. If nature calls again, step outside, do whatever you want, clean yourself, and then come back, and we will be more than accommodating to host you in our mosque. That's it, finish. No dramas, no issues. Okay, now everyone is looking at him, and everyone is fuming at him. So he looked at this beautiful, radiant face of Rasulullah, which is full of mercy. And then he turns towards the Qibla, puts his hand up and he says, Ya Allah, forgive me and forgive Muhammad and don't include anyone else with us. Rasulullah laughs, not smile, he laughs. In the riwayah it says, he laughs until his back bent. He said, Ya Akhal Islam, O brother in faith. You have made something that is so vast, so narrow. What is that so vast? You made it narrow. What is it? Maghfirah, right? Because he said, oh Allah, forgive me and Muhammad and don't include anyone. He said, you made it so narrow. Maghfirah, forgiveness is so vast and wide. So he said, ya Rasulullah, then teach me. What should I say? He said, say, oh Allah, forgive me and forgive Muhammad and include those Muslims around you with us, Ya Rasulullah. This is akhlaq. This is mannerism. This is how we grow as a community. This is how we create that kind of love, attachment, com uh, community, unity, social cohesion. You know, the love for our children to be at the mosque day and night because now they realize because of the way they are being treated they can call this mosque home because it becomes their own physical identity that they are proud to be part of and they will serve it with everything they have because they feel welcomed right they feel at ease in coming to the mosque without having to be criticized or put down in any way, shape, or form. Because now they are respected for who they are. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ Surely we have honored the son of Adam. We've honored him with what? We've honored him with intellect. We've given him and bestowed upon him that intellect. On, on, by virtue of which, because of his intellect, now he learns how to behave like a social being. And when he learns how to, lear to behave like a social being, then his respect becomes incumbent and his dignity becomes sacramount and sacred. Rasulullah goes to the Kaaba. Right? Amirul Mu'mineen, before I quote Rasulullah, so I can go through the chain. 
Amir al-Mu'minin says, Wallah, Wallah, he says, by God. If the Kaaba was to be dismantled piece by piece, brick by brick, it is easier in the eyes of Allah than to violate the right of a mu'min. Than to violate the right of a mu'min. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this is rewired from Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I, I can't hear salawat. <laughs> he says, my grandfather Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that when he went to the Kaaba, he looked at the Kaaba and he said, Wallah, walladhi ba'atha muhammadan bilhaq, inni la'a'lamu hurmataki indallah. He's looking at the Kaaba and he's saying, by God, I know how sacred you are and how much you are sanctified in the eyes of Allah. Ba'at Kaaba, we're talking about the Qibla of the Muslimin, one of the most holiest places on the face of this earth. You know, we all pray towards that. Qibla, sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. He goes and looks at the Kaaba and says, Wallahi inni la'a'lamu hurmatiki indallah, ala inna hurmata al-mu'mini a'zamu indallahi minki. He says, by Allah, I know how sacred you are in the eyes of Allah, but by Allah, the sacredness and the sanctity of a mu'min in the eyes of Allah is greater than you. Greater than the Kaaba. Huh? This mu'min to be violated, his right be usurped, be killed unjustly, hurt on account of false enjoining of what is what we perceive as something good or something bad. Right? What we perceive as something good and something bad. It's not accepted in the eyes of Allah whatsoever. You know, in order to honor that sanctity of a mu'min, which was represented in none other than the person of Imam Hussein, wasalam, alayhi, in, the, in the plains of Karbala, we are told the story of Saeed ibn Abdullah al-Hanafi, Allahu Akbar, one of the great companions of Imam Hussein, wasalam, this guy, his love for Imam Hussein can be described as if he melted himself in Imam Hussein out of love to Imam Hussein. He comes to Imam Hussein, as I mentioned uh, uh, two days or two nights earlier, he says, Ya Ibn Rasulullah, it's time for salah. So he said, Ya Dakarta Salah, Ja'alakallah, Minal Musalleen, or someone else. Now, Imam asks for respite so he can pray. He starts to pray. You know, this, this should bring us back to the idea that one of the mission of Imam Hussein that he died for is the preservation of the body of Salah, right? That we should not compromise on Salah. And you know, I have a simple formula for our, for our brothers, my, my youth. One thing you need to understand, I love to work with the youth. I just turned whatever number of years because, you know, age is just a number. It's not something I just turned 59 on the 18th of 7 59 years but I have a heart of a 15 years old okay I sit with a 15 with an 18 with a 19 of course with all due respect to my elders right I relate to the youngsters I can't relate to the elders you know probably when I die I tell them right on my grave I died at the age of 15 
right? Even if I was 80. Right? That's me. That's how I feel. We need to be, you know, always acting as young. And I will give you a risala on the authority of someone from the companions of Imam Al-Ridha, salamullah alayhi. But later, not now. So this man, uh, uh, um, Saeed ibn Abdullah al-Hanafi, he observe, he's observing his imam in prayer. All of a sudden, he observes all the arrows are being shot from the camp of Umar ibn Sa'd towards who? Al-Imam al-Hussein. So he goes in front of Imam Hussein and he shields Imam Hussein with his body. Every arrow from every angle this person is receiving with his chest, open chest, standing, protecting his Imam. By the time the Imam finished his prayer, this Saeed ibn Abdullah al-Hanafi could not stand on his feet. He was actually holding his sword and trying to lean on his sword in order to what sustain the pain from all these arrows that were coming his way in order to protect his Imam. Do we at least protect our Imam with one word? With one statement, this guy is receiving all the arrows in his way, in his chest, in his legs, in his shoulders. By the time the imam finishes, he collapses. He goes to the ground, and now his head is almost in the lap of Imam Hussein. Listen to what he says. He's drenched with blood. He has no place on his body. They describe him as an echidna. You know that you know, animal that has those prickles and it's like that his body is like that he is almost in the lap of imam hussein he says assalamu alaykum ya aba abdullah halwa fate have i satisfied your duty by me in defending you and your cause these are the companions of imam hussein no wonder why imam hussein says i have never seen i've never seen companions who are more loyal more dedicated to the cause of islam and to my cause than my companions this is what we need to learn from these people this is what it means to while you when you are being a muslim you need to become a muslim now right you are being a muslim by shahada you need to become a muslim by constantly living that shahada and one of these Things of living shahada is to be always in a state of ibadah, in a state of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Becoming Muslim after the seed of iman is planted or sown in our heart is a twofold process. One is refinement of the self. How can I change myself to better? How can I be a better Muslim? How can I be a better human being? How can I serve myself on the platform of being an inviter to the cause of Allah? Firstly, by refining myself and then refining the society around me. You know, it's a twofold thing. It's not just, you know, based on selfishness. It is not based on one thing. It is based on twofold. You need to reform yourself and those around you in the most emphatic and in the most compassionate and in the poor, in the most kindest of ways, right? This is what a Muslim is when he takes the shahada and accepts the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
That's why we say that both refining of the, of the self and refining of society. You know, in Islam, the, rela the relationship is vertical and horizontal. The relationship that Allah wants us to have is based on a horizontal relationship and a vertical relationship. The vertical relationship is to enhance your relationship between you and the creator. That's vertical, right? The way you do it, it's up to you. Of course, you follow the rituals, you follow the obligations, but anything extra is up to you. You know, there's one of our maraja of taqlid, because when I say this, normally people straight away, they think what? They think the best act of ibadah is to increase your prayers, right? To increase your prayers. Or to increase your fasting, right? Or maybe to uh, uh, increase your zikr. You know, zikr. Subhanallah, subhanallah. But don't be a person who says subhanallah just by lip service. When you say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, learn the meaning of subhanallah and alhamdulillah and say it with a clear intention. Not just like our friend who was once standing on a, you know, red light and he had a tasbih in his hand and he's saying subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. All of a sudden a blonde came in front of him. She's, you know, crossing the street. He said, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Ajeeb, ajeeb. Subhanallah to astaghfirullah. It's all lip service. Means nothing, right? Means absolutely nothing to him. Just repetition of words without any understanding of what he is saying or trying to say at all at all you know because that zikr has not gone into his heart he doesn't know the meaning and the magnificence of that particular zikr right so vertical between you and allah listen to this the words of one of our great maraja of taqlid his name ayatullah father lankarani have you heard of him Ayatollah Fadl Lankarani, he has a beautiful statement. He even posted it on his own account before he passed away, rahmatullah alayhi. In that statement, he says, I've learned and taught Islam for more than 50 years. More than 50 years, Allah Taught and learned Islam more than 50 years. And then I came up to the following conclusion. What is the conclusion, ya Ayatollah, our respected marja? He said, after you do your wajibat, after you do your wajibat, meaning salah, psalm, zakat, these are the obligations. He said, the best action in the sight of Allah is to be in the service of your fellow human being. The best act of ibadah, the best act of ibadah is to be able to be there for someone. To put your hand on someone who's bereaved and rub your hand over their shoulder and say, it's okay, it's not the end of the world, things will change. To feed someone who can't feed himself. To clothe someone that can't clothe himself, right? To offer accommodation to someone who's sleeping on the ground, you know? Sometimes we always shift the responsibility to Allah. You know the famous... Uh, Brother Mahmoud Bimji, the famous dua in Ramadan, where we say, Allahumma, where is it? At'im kulla faqir. Allahumma ksu kulla uriyan. Allahumma, oh Allah, feed every hungry person. Oh Allah, clothe every naked person. Oh Allah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting and listening to this dua. Of course, 
I have no problem with the dua. The dua is amazing. But you need to understand what the dua is telling you. The dua is asking you to seek Allah's help in feeding, clothing. But Allah is not saying that wait so that I can bring a battalion of malaika down to earth in order to feed that hungry person. No. Allah is saying, I've already provided the means to you and me to feed that hungry person. Why are you shifting the blame back to Allah? You know, you're having 17 plates on the day of Ramadan, the first day of Ramadan, which is special, by the way, you know, the first day and the last day, special day of Ramadan. We're hungry, 17 hours of fasting. We go into the kitchen. Mom, may Allah bless our mothers. May Allah give them long life. May Allah honor them because we don't know their value. Wallah. We don't know the value of our moms until they leave this world. Allahu Akbar. Rabbi ghfirli wali walidayi. Rabbi rhamhuma kama rabbayani saghira. Wajzihima bil hasanati ihsana wa bil sayyati afwan wa ghufrana. How great is the position of a mother? Right? Imam Zayn al-Abidin says, she carried you in a place where no one would carry you. No one would carry you. If, if I pay you a million dollars and I say, hold me here on your stomach for nine months, when you sleep, when you wake up, when you go to the bathroom, when you cook, when you walk, and you are sitting on top of my stomach for a million dollars for nine months, you would not do it for two hours. Right? Yet our mothers carried us for nine months without a single penny in return. In fact, Imam, Imam uh, Zayn al-Abidin says more. He says that she used to cover you and stay uncovered so that you may feel comfortable. She would feed you and remain hungry so that you don't feel the effect of hunger. These are our mothers. May Allah bless their you know, souls and bless the ground they walk on. You know, this, you know, when we're talking about helping and this mother is in the kitchen from morning to day, tonight. Me, mashallah, Sheikh Jihad goes into the kitchen. Mom, what is for iftar today? Well, for iftar today, berenj. Berenj? Seriously, mom? Berenj? That's it. Okay, and kima, but we don't have meat. What? Kima without meat and berenj. What happened to the world? Where are you doing with all the money that is coming your way? Where is all the money you buying gold with it so you can, you know, save on the meat? La hawla wa la illa billah. And then we, mother feels bad, goes and cooks 17, 18 types of food. Then someone knocks at, at our door to feed them. He wants food. Someone homeless. We say, Fi We raise our hand. Allahumma at'am kulla ja'a'a. Ya Allah, you feed them. Like you have 17 plates. 17 plates. What are you going to do with them? You open your wardrobe. You cannot open it. Because it's already, sorry, you cannot close it because it's already open from the amount of clothes. 17 suits, 23 pants, 18, I don't know what, shorts, 65 pairs of socks. I don't know how many, 29 pairs of shoes. And someone comes and he doesn't have even one single pair of shoes to walk on. 
You say, Allahumma ksu kulla uriyan. Ajeeb. Ya Allah, you close them. Ma Allah gave you to close them. Right? Allah has given you the ability to go and close them and feed them and monitor them and look after them and, and the list goes on and on and on. Right? Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. When we want to summon others to this faith, that summoning call is not simply a passive call. It's an active, dynamic process and a movement in its entirety. Imam al-Ridha says, preach our way with a methodology where you do not have to resort to the use of your tongue. So how do we call to your way, Yabna Rasulillah? How? How do we invite people to Islam? I'll tell you how to invite people to Islam. Put Islam into action. When people are swearing, don't swear. When people are lying, don't lie. When people are taking bribe, don't take bribe. When people don't help the oppressed, you help the oppressed. Don't be indoctrinated into something that is wrong. Whatever they tell you, you must do. No, you have to stand for the truth. If Imam Hussein did not stand for the truth, by Allah, neither you or me would remain Muslim. There will be no Islam. On the face of this earth, it would have been gone. You know? But he had to take a stand in order to stop the evil of his time. So that when he, in the course of time, when he laid down on the plains of Karbala, dead, alongside his companions at face value he lost the battle but when the dust settled and all these bodies were stained with the blood for one cause and one cause only to save the body of islam to save the corpus of islam you could then see clearly where right stands and where wrong stands immediately you will be able to observe that immediately you would appreciate Abi Abdullah al-Hussein and you would say what an amazing human being that he gave his blood and on the course or on the virtue of giving and spilling his blood millions of people were revived on account of his blood he breathed life into the dead bodies of the so-called living at that time and for ages to come after him and generations to come after him, right? Don't think it's late, brothers. It's never late to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's always, there's always the opportunity to come back. Do not give your, don't give up on Allah. Don't lose hope because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, وَلَا يَيْأَسْ مِنْ مِنْ رَوْحِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا الْقَوْمُ الْكَافِرُونَ Only those who don't believe in Allah are the ones who feel in, a, in desperation. A mu'min does not feel in desperation, does not lose his hope. Why? Because you are dealing with Allah, the most merciful, the most compassionate creator you can ever relate to. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started every single chapter in the Quran with what? You tell me. With what? Bismillah, Bismillah al-Qawiyyul Azim. Did he say that? Bismillah, the subduer, the controller. Did he say that? But these are part of his 99 names, right? 
part of his 99 names, 113 times each and every chapter in the Quran started with what? But that's not enough to Allah because he, have to, he had to make them 114, right? But we have a problem with Surah At-Tawbah. It doesn't start with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, right? Then Allah puts Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim twice in another surah. In Surah An-Naml, at the beginning and in the middle. وَإِنَّهُ مِنْ سُلَيْمَانِ وَإِنَّهُ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ 114 are complete now. It's like Allah is telling you, I am the merciful. Relate to me on the basis of my mercy. Not on the basis of any of other names. Just on the basis of that name. And then he says, you want to learn my attributes? You want to invite? You want to learn the art of inviting? Listen to what Allah says. Surah Rahman. First ayah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman. Ajeeb the words of Allah. Wallah, they are amazing. He starts with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And then he says what? The merciful. In the name of God. The merciful. The most merciful. The merciful. Ajeeb. Right? Ajeeb. By the way, don't make the mistake of interpreting Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim as in the name of Allah, the merciful, the beneficent. What beneficent? Well, what is the meaning of beneficent? Have you ever seen anyone telling his neighbor, good morning, I wish you beneficence. What is beneficence? You know, well, well, what's this nonsense? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of God, the merciful, the most merciful. And then he says, the merciful. So the merciful is doing what? Listen to the surah. The merciful taught what? The Quran. So what is Allah is telling us? If you want to teach, be what? Be what? Be merciful. Don't teach with a stick. Don't teach with that, you know that uh, slipper which has six pack on the back? Maybe, you know, if you lived in Afghanistan or in Lebanon or in Iraq, there is a special kind of slipper that our parents used to use. It had six pack on the back. That slipper can penetrate and go around any room in the house. It will get you wherever you are. You know what I'm talking about, right? They'll throw it in such a way with the help of Allah, even if you were in room number six, you will find it flying over your head like a stealth method. You don't know where it came from. Allahu Akbar and our mothers, may Allah bless them, and our fathers were so accurate. Straight away, in your head, in your e, in the back of your, you know. We didn't know. We just accepted. Whatever it is, Allah is saying, Ar-Rahman, Allam Al-Quran, sit with your children, talk to them, have a dialogue. Say, you know, let, let us have this approach with our children. I don't have much time. Let us have this approach with our children where we tell them, and I am telling you this, brothers, wallah, wallah, it's the best methodology that if you really want the trust of your children and for your children not to go and talk to any Tom, Dick, and Harry out there which don't know a thing about life and they will give them the worst advice in their life, make sure that you become the best friend of your children. The best friend of your children. And if you know, if you want to know how you are the best friend to your children, check out on your Facebook account whether your children have put you on private setting 
or you are part of the friends list. Right? Yeah. Make sure. See, are you on private sitting? If you are on private sitting, forget it, bro. Forget it. They don't even trust you. They don't even annoy you. No? They'd rather have someone from outside to, to trust. And that's when the problem happens. We need to be there for our children. They are our best investment. If we want to call people to this religion, let us start with our own families first. Let us be there for them. Right? In every second of our day, in every second of our life, we have to be there for them. You know, don't think that your children will appreciate you if you buy them materialistic things. They will appreciate you when you sit with them and tell them, I am here for you. Whenever you want me, you will find me. That's how your children want to relate to you. That's how your children will remember you when you die after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, gives you long life. They will never, never remember you. Oh, wallah, one day my father buy, bought me iPhone 14. What iPhone 14? Your child will remember you. Oh, wallah, I remember once I got sick and my father and mother could not sleep all night. They were by my bedside. May Allah have mercy on their soul. That's how they will remember you. Right? That's how will they remember. That's how they will pray for you. Right? And that's how they will be in your trust. They will be there. Just like this. You know, I, I related this story. I don't know if you heard it before. But quickly, I really, because I have to go to the majlis. Right? This young boy comes to his father once and he says, Dad, how much do you earn an hour? He said, $300. He said, give me $200. He said, excuse me? I work the hour. You want $200 out of it? Get out of my face. That young boy goes, sleeps, tears in his eyes. The father felt bad after a short while. Follows his son. He's already deep asleep. You know, he's asleep, but he can see his tea still on his cheek. He says, Yallah, takes $200 out of his pocket and he slips it under a pillow. While he's doing this, I don't know what happened. The child wakes up. He takes, he looks, he says his father on top of his uh, head. He has a little pocket in his PJ. He has saved $100 from Eid money. He takes out the 100, pulls out the 200 from under the pillow, puts them together, and he said, Dad, can I buy an hour of your time? Can I buy an hour of your time? He's appealing to his dad. I want you with me. I want you when I need you. If I have a problem at school, I don't need a gadget. I need to see your face defending me. That's how our children appreciate their parents, right? Come back to Allah. Come back like Al-Hur came back to Hussein, salawatullahi wa You all know Al-Hur al-Rayahi, right? This is his night. Al-Hur al-Rayahi is the one that stopped Imam Hussein from continuing his journey. Rasulillah. He stopped him on the day of Ashura. He looks around and he's bewildered. He's confused. He doesn't want this to happen. He's on the wrong side. He looks towards Al-Aus ibn Muhajir. Our Muhajir ibn Aus. He said, Ya Muhajir, are you seriously going to fight this man? He said, by Allah, we are fighting him in such a battle that the least we can do is to sever heads and to amputate fingers. The least, he says, slowly, slowly, that Al-Muhajir ibn Aus, he said, I looked at Al-Hur 
And Al-Hur is one of the most fearsome warriors of the Kufans. He was a fearsome warrior. He's not scared of anything. All of a sudden, I'm looking at Al-Hur. You know, brothers, this is sorry. Uh, brothers, if you can get up and move a little bit forward. I think uncle wants to invite them forward. Or the time is over. Okay, I'll finish. I'll finish. Two minutes. Hajj, two minutes. I'll finish. Two minutes. Sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. He says, he looks at him, he says, what is happening to you? I've never seen you in that way. Anyway, to cut the story short, he comes and draws closer to the imam. He's riding on his horse and he's wanting to go quickly towards the imam. He reaches the imam. Assalamu alaikum, ya Aba Abdullah. Look what he says to him. Ya Aba Abdullah, Ali min tawbah, would Allah accept my repentance? Would Allah accept my repentance? Imam Hussein says, Yatubu Allah alayka in tubta ya har. Surely if you have the right intention or har, Allah will accept your repentance. Then Imam Hussein said, come down of your horse. Hur says, no, I'm better a warrior for you, O Imam, that I am a horseman. Allow me to go and fight in front of you. The Hur goes into the battlefield. He begins, he begins to strike left, right, and center until he kills a number of them. And then they surround him. They start to beat him with their swords and arrows. He falls down from his horse. He calls out to Imam Hussein, Assalamu alaikum ya Aba Abdullah. Have I satisfied you, Ibn Rasulullah? Imam Hussein rushes to him, finds him dying on the plains of Karbala. He takes his head and he rubs the sand and the dust from his eyes and he says, Surely, O Khor, you are indeed as free as your mother has named you. Five times a man the loudest and the last one a man Muhammad